0: This is Data Podcast. In the ever changing world of data, this is the podcast packed full of information to keep you right on top of all the developments. From AWS and Azure, through to data science, big data, AI, and NoSQL, and everything in between, we cover the essential updates from both a technical and non technical perspective, including special guests and in depth interviews. Now, please welcome your hosts, Rajeev Baha and Shabnam Khan, with today's episode of Data Podcast.
1: Our guest today is Bill Inman. Bill Inman is the father of Data Warehouse and has written 57 books published in 9 languages. Bill's latest adventure is the building of technology known as textual disambiguation, technology that reads raw text in a narrative format and allows the text to be placed in a conventional database so that it can be analyzed by standard and analytical technology, thereby uh, creating a unique business value for big data or unstructured data. Bill was named by Computer World as one of the top 10 most influential people in the history of the computer profession. Bill lives in Castle Rock, Colorado. And if you want to find more information about him, and especially textual disambiguation, you can refer to his work at forestdreamtech.com. I am Rajib, and Shabdam is co-hosting with me today. Welcome to our show, Bill. Thank you for having me.
2: Okay, so our first question is about the data warehouse and especially your contribution. In the 1970s, you have coined the term data warehouse, and there are countless data gurus referring to you as the father of data warehousing. We are curious to learn how your journey started and what did you envision back then a data warehouse to be and now?
3: Certainly. Well, uh, years ago, I was a reporter for Computer World, and, uh, at that time, IBM was coming up with, uh, a technology which at the time was new called DV2. And IBM was making claims for DV2 that were simply, uh, unrealistic. Uh, in fact, they were very unrealistic. And so I started writing in Computer World about the, uh, claims of, of IBM and DV2. Uh, and it got me to thinking that if if DB2 wasn't the answer, uh, what was the answer? But before you can answer the question, what is the answer, you have to know what the questions are. So I started thinking about what does our industry need? And from a standpoint that at the time, uh, we needed integrated data, we needed corporate data and we needed to be able to look at historical data that's what our industry needed uh, rather than a new technology called db2 so it's understanding what our technology needed what our industry needed rather than uh, what technology was being presented and that's where the notions of data warehouse came from
1: Thank you for the history on that. And would you mind sharing who were the earliest adopter of this concept you call data warehouse? And uh, what were some interesting discoveries have you found back then? And, and how active was the industry and how has it evolved over the years? Surely,
3: the, the first three companies that I ever did data warehousing with were uh, Shell Canada, uh, Aetna Life and Casualty Insurance and Pactel Cellular, and these three companies, from a business standpoint, uh, have very different businesses, but when it came to architecture, these three companies were uh, uh, amazingly similar in terms of architecture, so uh, those were the first three companies that I got to explore Data Warehouse at. Now, in the early days, data warehousing was something that uh, was not accepted with the information technology community. That in the early days, we sold data warehousing to the marketing organization, sales organization, and finance organization, because the IT community was not receptive at all to data warehouse. Uh, and, and today I think that has changed, but in the early days, uh, uh, we, we found that, uh, mostly the marketing organization was a very hungry organization and they would listen to us. The, uh, I, I have a collection of papers, uh, that I still occasionally look at, uh, and they are people writing in complaining about me, saying uh, that I should never be allowed to talk in public, that I should... uh, uh was setting the industry back uh, 25 years, that I was an anarchist, and that I shouldn't be uh, allowed to speak in public. And uh, uh, th- 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 that was the... Uh, uh, that was the reception the uh, information technology community had for data warehousing. And thank goodness the marketing people listened to what we had to say.
1: That's very interesting. (laughs) That's
2: mind-blowing. It is really interesting to see how industries change and how the mindset of all these people that are acting in the industry change. And in the current state of that industry, do you think data warehousing is relevant in this hyped-up age of big data and data science? Do these technologies simply complement existing data
3: practices? Well, let me explain it this way. Data warehousing is an architecture and big data is a technology. And there is a fundamental difference between an architecture and a technology and as long as in the corporation we need the single version of the truth on which to make decisions we need data warehousing that i liken big data to be a vacuum cleaner that you have in your house that when you take a vacuum cleaner you can come along and you can pick up anything. You can pick up dirt. You can pick up rocks. You can pick up anything. And there's no assurance that the data you get coming through big data has any um, uh, believability to it at all. And and it's 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 like a spreadsheet. I can create a spreadsheet and I can assign myself a salary of a million dollars a month and i can do that on a spreadsheet very easily but 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 is that number a believable number and the answer is of course it's not i don't make a million dollars a month and and i don't know many people that do make a million dollars a month but but uh, a, a a a big data is like a vacuum cleaner or a spreadsheet that can pick up any old data on the other hand, data in a data warehouse is data that you need to use for believability of data. If you build your data warehouse properly, you, you build data on which you can have confidence in your corporate decisions. So as long as people need data that they can believe, you're going to need a data warehouse. In actuality, I think that big data and data warehouse are very complementary. But the big data vendors uh, try to come along and tell people that just because they can store all of this data, that they don't need a data warehouse. And all that says to me is they don't understand what a data warehouse really does.
1: That's very sensible and I noticed that one of your most recent project in the data space is called Textual ETL. What is Textual ETL about? Is it a theoretical concept or are there any tool in the industry that meets this standard?
3: Oh no, Uh, Textual ETL is uh, very much a real product today. Uh, let me tell you about Textual ETL. About 15 years ago, I I became interested in the fact that in the corporation today, uh, people make most of their decisions based on structured data. And that's with a data warehouse and big data and so forth. Now, there's nothing wrong with structured data, but when you look in the corporation itself, you find out that the vast majority of the data in the corporation is is not uh, uh, structured data at all. It's textual, unstructured data. And I think it's ironical that we are making the vast majority of decisions in the corporation based on a distinct minority of the data. So that, that that paradox is what led me to start to build the technology known as textual ETL. How do we go into the corporation and start to um, uh use the textual data in the corporation uh for the purpose of uh making decisions? Now, text is a very complex it's probably the most complex that thing that anybody deals with and yet people take it for granted because in in everybody's brain are these rules there's rules of spelling rules of punctuation rules of word meaning rules of sentence formation and we've learned these rules all the way from being a child and we put these rules in the back of our brain, and for the most part, our brain processes these rules uh, uh, in an automatic fashion. Well, a computer can't do that. But then a computer doesn't have the advantage of having all of these rules. And so Textual ETL uh, is able to take uh, text and uh, turn the text into a database. Uh, now, there's been a lot of technologies that can do that, but the difference between a textual ETL and the existing technologies that are out there is that when the textual ETL puts data into a database, it looks not just at the text, but it looks at the context as well. Language is funny. If, if, if you don't have the context of what's being talked about, you cannot interpret the language itself. And so, textual ETL is technology. It exists today, and, uh, uh, it, it looks at both, uh, text and context, and it's able to put text into the form of a standard relational database such as Oracle, uh, Teradata, SQL Server or something like that. We've actually had textual ETL as a product for uh, a while now and we started out uh, talking to technicians and uniformly technicians didn't see any value in looking at textual data. So. We don't even talk to technicians anymore. we talk to management and uh, with management we 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 don't talk in terms of technology we talk in terms of what a textual ETL can do for example, one of our initiatives is something called voice of the customer that corporation after corporation uh, has got um, uh, a need for listening to their customer. And there's a lot of ways of listening to the customer through email, uh, through conversations, uh, uh, through other other channels. And, and when we talk to management uniformly, management says, yes, this is what I need, that uh, the technician did not see any use for doing this the management on the other hand when you sit down and say i can tell you what your customer is saying uh how would you like to engage as a service uh we are so busy right now uh doing exactly that we uh um, uh so uh it's almost like data warehousing where we didn't talk to the it community uh we talked to the business community and the business community wholeheartedly accepts what we do now now the business people don't even know that we do technology the business people say gee here's somebody that as a service simply tells me what my customer is saying and um and so that's that's how textual ETL is being sold now so we don't we don't even we, by the way we don't sell textual ETL we uh, uh, we use it uh, as the basis for a private service for large organizations and right now we are engaged with uh, some of the largest organizations uh, uh, in the world and uh, uh, we we uh I, I, I shouldn't say this, but we're not looking for customers right now. We 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 have uh as many customers as we can handle and uh we're doing quite well. So that's uh yes, textual ETL is a technology, yes it exists, yes it works, yes it looks at text and context, uh and it works as I have described. Uh, but uh, the IT community uh, simply doesn't see any value in it, so we go directly to the business person who very much does see value in being able to use the technology. So that's a little bit about uh, what's going on with Textual ETL today.
1: I have a quick follow-up question. Uh, When you are working with a textual ETL and creating the database out of it, in that database, assuming the text data goes into some table, what kind of contextual data do you track or do the business find useful in tracking?
3: Okay, you've asked a very, very difficult question that's at the heart of textual ETL, but I'll, I'll describe it to you. When you're dealing, when you're dealing with text, text is very complex. Because we speak language and our brains do this background processing, we don't know how complex it is. But take my word for it, it's very complex. The other day, and, and I mentioned that we do, uh, contextual processing. How do we do contextual processing? Uh, it, it turns out, uh, that there's at least 67 different algorithms. There's no one algorithm because at one moment you say, okay, let me give you an example. Michael Jackson had a, a record album called Bad. Now, if you and I are talking and I mentioned the word bad, you think something negative is being said. But if we look at Michael Jackson's album of Bad, uh, Michael Jackson wasn't talking about something negative. In fact, when Michael Jackson says Bad, he means something uh, pretty much the opposite. He means something that's very good and very cool. And and, and even the word cool, uh, the word cool, used by Michael Jackson, doesn't mean a temperature of hot and cold. It means something that's that's very desirable. Yeah. So... You, you 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 see that that language is and, and 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 now can we handle Michael Jackson and the word bad and and your and I's interpretation of that? Yes, we can. But that's only one meaning or one way in which context of text uh, uh, is, is 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 an issue. Uh, there's 67 different algorithms that we have. I, I, I liken. Uh, Our textual ETL to being a symphony conductor. Uh, The symphony conductor at one point in time asks the violins to play. Then the symphony conductor asks the drums to play. Then the symphony conductor asks uh, everybody to play louder and faster. Then the conductor asked the horns and the flutes to play, and so uh, 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 if there's any magic in textual ETL at all at all, it's in being able to read text and understand which of the 67 algorithms are appropriate for understanding and managing that part of text. Uh, it's taken us about 15 years to build this technology.
2: That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that insight with us. Now, uh, my next question is about your publications, uh, the recent ones on taxonomies and textual analytics. And I think you have already started talking about it in a way, but um, because our knowledge is quite limited on it, uh, would you please enlighten us about the use case scenario for which it's relevant?
3: Surely. Uh, one of, and certainly not the only, but one of the major ways in which we address the issue of context is through something called taxonomies, and taxonomies are a way of looking at language and categorizing language itself. Now, it's you know it's 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 the major way in which uh you you start to understand language. Again, it's it, believe me, it's not the only way, but it's the major way. uh the, the, the use case for taxonomies uh comes in very useful when you start to do what's called sentiment analysis. When you start to read uh comments that people have made and say uh for what this person is saying, uh, how do I interpret it? So I, I, uh, uh, I say, I, I like ice cream. Well, the word I like means that I have a positive sentiment, and what is it that I like? The thing that I like is the ice cream itself. That would be what we call the predicate. So uh, we use uh, s- uh, sentiment taxonomies to understand the feeling that's been conveyed in the words that are being said. Now, I'd like to be, and 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 I, for the work that we do, uh, taxonomies come into play probably about oh, 65 or seventy-five percent of the time. And uh, there's another whole type of work that we do where we don't even use tax, mm-hmm. sentiment analysis. Taxonomies are what we use.
1: And one last question. How do we connect with you in social media, let's say Twitter or blog or websites?
3: Uh, well, we do have a website. It's called ForestRimTech.com. And if you want to uh, send me a message or whatever, uh, just look up on the, the web com, and there's a way to send me a message there.
1: That is awesome. Thank you for joining us, Bill, and uh, we really appreciate your time and sharing your life's experience and insights. Thank you so
3: much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed listening
0: to this episode of Data Podcast. You're welcome to follow our hosts on Twitter at Rajib2K5, at Shabnam Khan 2017, and on YouTube at youtube.com slash Rajib2K5. Our episodes are also available via iTunes, SoundCloud, Google and other podcasting platforms.
3: Thank you for tuning in.